Eoch Tanuyap, Kuiget Yuans, Kuiensna. Hi, everybody. My name is Kuiget Yuans. I'm a member of the Squamish Nation and the Yagalanis Clan of the Haida Nation. You're listening to Co op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. We live, work, play, and broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil Nations. listening to Each for All, the Cooperative Connection on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM and online at coopradio.org. I'm Sandy Goldman. In this episode, we're talking about one of our favorite topics, food, how it brings people together and creates community, ensuring safe, healthy, and affordable fare all year round, and tackling hunger and food insecurity. Co-ops continue to lead the way on all these fronts, putting people before profit. In Huntsville, Ontario, the Muskoka North Good Food Co-op is a thriving hub for consumers, producers, tourists, and year-round residents. It has more than 1,700 proud member owners. I caught up with General Manager Kelly Ebbs to learn more and started our conversation by asking how the co-op began. Have a listen. Well, as most people know about about co-ops in general, is that co-ops are always built out of need. And right. so when a community uh, identifies a gap or a need within their within their own community, oftentimes uh, people will will get will rally together to make that uh, to, to find answers and solutions to fill those gaps. And uh, back in 2013, I was actually um, the executive director of an organization that was focusing on culinary tourism in our region. And um, so I was working with all of the top chefs in the region from a lot of the big resorts and golf courses and things like that, as well as working with a whole bunch of different farm producers and agri-food value-add producers trying to create those connections and links. And within that work, what we really started to to realize was one, we don't know enough about our food shed in Muskoka. And for two, um, we are finding that we have a very minimal amount of offerings because of the fact that we don't have really, really easy access to all of this food. So we started doing um, some different projects and research um, initiatives in our region. And after we built and compiled our Muskoka Food Shed report, what was really, really prominent in that was that we had a 
whole slew of producers who would be more than willing to produce more, to expand their herds, to create more food if there were a venue that was easy to sell it and market it. And then we had an entire community of people who were more than willing to commit to buying more local food if there was a bricks and mortar location to be able to do that. So the recommendations within that report were that we need a bricks and mortar location to create a venue for this type of connection. So um, several years passed and a lot of different, we had a big working committee, we were called the Common Roots Collective at the, at the time. And mm -hmm. we just started putting our brains together about how we could do this. And we researched lots of different models. And when it came right down to it, we realized that a not-for-profit multi-stakeholder cooperative would be the best model in order to benefit the most people. Mm. So we became incorporated as Muskoka North Good Food Co-op in 2014. And we called ourselves Muskoka North because Muskoka and Northern Ontario are our number one procurement priority areas. And so uh, from that, we built a beautiful first board, and then we just started working. And we were doing things like pop-up co-ops all over the community. We had no store, we had no money, um, but we had a dream and a vision. And we started making all those connections with our food producers and popped up little stores in train stations, in school gyms, in church basements, like wherever we could do it. And we built it and built it and built it. And at that same time, of course, as you know, with cooperatives, it's all about educating your community about what it even means right. to have a cooperatively run business. So within that time frame, we started gaining membership and people were investing in membership without a store even being real. And so they were really putting our their faith and their money into our dream. And um, it is it was a, it is still a $60 lifetime membership to become an owner member of the co-op. And everyone is still welcome to shop here. So you don't have to be a member to shop here. Um, by the time we had about 400 families and producers invested is when I and we and I think by this point, too, we were already sitting on about $30,000 worth of inventory that we had just built and built and built through all these little pop ups. So we were starting to build a little slush fund. We had a whole bunch of food that was stored in people's bedrooms when we weren't popping up our stores. It yeah. was crazy grassroots kind of reality. And then we started really going to the funders and telling them about our ideas and telling them about the model. And of course, this is a, you know, we're going to Fednor. This is a, a they're, they're, they're used to funding industry, you know, right. you know, at first they thought, oh God, who is this group of people and what are they trying to do? And I worked on them for two or three years. I just kept mm. going back to them and telling them about what we were doing, how we were growing. I was getting all these little grants that were helping us, but not big enough to you know, really kind of get the, the real thing going. And then um, finally, he, he, my caseworker looked at me and he said, it's time for you to put an application and let's just give this a try. And a year later, I got a response back that we had been awarded $600,000 from the federal Oh, that's tremendous. And that's a, know. A, federal, a federal government uh, program to support uh, yes. northern communities. Yes. Yeah. You're, and, you're... and they really do have, they really are putting a, a, a bigger push on supporting cooperatives. Because I think what they realize is when they invest in a cooperative, they're investing in so many people. Yeah. And so... 
that man had faith in our group and had trust in me. And I remember at one point him looking at me and going, don't mess this up. <laughs> you know? And you and you <laughs> haven't. Well, no, we've had some, we've had some, you know, very sure. we had to jump through, but it's been so great. So he helped us with that. We got a little um, input from the province as well, and they helped us build our commercial production kitchen. So we had this beautiful, uh, we had we had secured a space, which is still the space we're in. We put our $600,000 where our mouth was, and we, cre we opened up the store in October of 2018. And... What's interesting about that, as you know, is funders always want the organizations to have skin in the game. And so we had to come up with 10 to 15 percent of that six hundred thousand mm. dollars in order to make this happen. Well, we did not have that. So we got really creative and we worked with a, a lawyer in our community who came forward to volunteer her time at the time. And we created our own community investment bonds. And those bonds um, were basically, they, they enabled us to find that 10 to 15% that we needed to release that funding. And um, we had 65 to $70,000 worth of investment from private citizens of our community. Um, and I will, I'm happy to say that the five-year terms, we did them in staggered three, five, and 10-year terms. The three and the five-year terms have already been paid back to the investors. Wonderful, and, yeah. Yeah, so that's really great because, I mean, we were, I mean, that's heavy on my shoulders knowing that people had invested and we need to be good for that. There's two things. Um, one is these community bonds, I've, I've seen them being used quite a bit, and they, they seem to be the way to go. Uh, you're really investing in, in your community. And um, it's wonderful that you got advice to pursue that. Did the Ontario Cooperative Association help you in any way or did you reach out to them? Yeah, I mean, they they have come to do some board development with us. Right. Uh, we, we do reach out to them if we have questions that we really need answered. Um, we... Um, with the community bonds, though, we did not work with with them on that. Right. Um, but but I mean, they're just an incredible resource, and, um, and they've I, got your back oh, for sure. Oh yeah, and I'm very grateful that they exist. Absolutely, Ke Kelly. Um, Muskoka is a is a fairly large region. Um, in that uh, there's three, you know, sort of towns: uh, the mm -hmm. Gateway, Gravenhurst, Bracebridge in the middle. There's other towns like Baysville and like a basin, then Huntsville in the north. Uh, it's the largest of, of the communities. Uh, and um, as you say, a lot of tourism and uh, also a, a stepping off point for people who are going to Algonquin Park, mm -hmm. which is a real jewel uh, of wilderness in Ontario. Um, are you seeing more and more growth of um, sort of year round residents uh, and producers of uh, food and various products uh, over the years. I mean, this is uh, because I remember it from back in the days. You know, it was it was kind of a sleepy town. It was bigger than Gravenhurst, but still, you know, kind of sleepy with cottages and and things kind of you know winter activities, but really mostly year round residents. T tell us about how the community's grown and changed. Yeah, for sure. So I actually am from uh, Vancouver Island. So I was. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, Great. We got lots to talk about on that level. Okay. Too, but, okay. Um, but we, I, I moved here um, 
I was raised on Vancouver Island and then I lived up in Haida Gwaii for 20 years before I moved here. So 13 years ago, I moved here. And in that 13 years, I have seen huge transformation in this town. And um, we do have tourists, but really we mainly have seasonal residents. So a lot, a lot, a lot of cottagers that come up here every summer and spend their whole summer. And then even more so now they're winterizing their cottages yeah a lot of people are now retiring up here in their cottages so we're seeing a huge influx of permanent residents coming in um every single day we have people walking into the co-op who are saying oh we're told we're new to town we've just moved here i mean i think yesterday alone i had five different people come in and say they were new to town and i and bet they're thrilled that the co-op is there i mean it looks like a beautiful store uh well stocked with so many local uh, so much local fare, and I know you put a big emphasis on that. I just have to jump in. Why did you move to Huntsville from Haida Gwaii? <laughs> because uh, we had born and we birthed and raised three boys on Haida Gwaii. And um, when they got to high school age, we uh, had we recognized that it was it was probably a good time to to move them off the island for a little while. So um, my husband's family has a cottage up here, a really beautiful canoe inn built in 1939, gorgeous beautiful. little cabin that his grandfather built. And so we thought, well, let's go where we know we will fit in. We will not, it won't be too much of a culture shock for us. And, um, you know, two of my three boys are now back in BC. We've been here 13 years now, but um, it was a really good move for us. And um, and actually, we are moving back to BC uh, in the fall. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So, okay, I'll, good. I caught you now. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I will still be working with the co-op. I'm okay. going to keep my feet in these doors here. Yeah. Okay, Kelly. When people come to the co-op, uh, I did a little tour, and and our listeners can as well. You've got a little YouTube segment up there. It just seems chock full of so many great items from uh, produce and that, but items that are produced by local folks you know I saw Muskoka maple syrup and and one thing and another tell us about sort of these um uh small businesses that are popping up uh to to, to provide local uh, everything tell sure. us just a bit about them and then you've got a new project uh that we want to get into this yeah. conversation yeah. Well, I think one thing that's really interesting, we were talking about how the you know people are moving into to the town and they're very happy to find us because they're used to finding stores like this where they come from and there really wasn't anything. So that was awesome. The other interesting thing is there's been this really interesting influx of people who are moving here specifically because they want to become food producers and the co-op mm -hmm. exists. So mm -hmm. we also have these people, real estate agents calling us saying, I have people who want to buy a farm. They're asking about the food co-op. Can I connect? you and so it's like really amazing that it's attracting people to actually buy property and farms here to start food because because it's a little more um, accessible to them coming up north right so we have uh we've helped incubate and develop a lot of different small agri-food businesses since we started we've helped grow a lot of other ones just because of that multiplier effect where they're selling more they need they need to hire people on their farms so everybody's being built up by this um, which is so really the point of, you know, mm -hmm. local food economies are what we really, really need to help thriving communities or helping mm -hmm. communities thrive. Mm -hmm. So, um, but our food procurement is interesting because we, we believe in local and fresh and clean. 
And so, you know, when I say clean, it does not need to be certified organic, but we really, really prioritize unsprayed, clean grown product. And uh, so we've convinced lots of people who make value added, say, jams and jellies to start using certified organic sugar in their products so that we can make sure that we're translating as much of those procurement priorities within into everything. So um, but we also really believe in products that aren't necessarily from here. So we work directly with fishermen. For example, next weekend, we have a lobster fisherman driving here from Nova Scotia with 600 live lobsters in his trailer. And it doesn't get more local than that when you want lobster, you know, same goes for fish. We have beautiful wild seafood. We only sell wild fish here. We we will not buy farmed. Um, And so we have sockeye salmon coming from, from the West coast. We've got halibut coming from the East coast. We should be having trout coming from uh, Lake Trout and that, and from uh, Georgian Bay and that. That That's fabulous. Yeah. Pickerel and all that. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. So it's really, really neat where, you know, yes, we're into local, but we're also into producer direct. So, you know, we buy our lentils from a farmer in, in Manitoba. We buy, you know, our flower from a grower and a miller in Southern Ontario. And there's just like so many, so many interesting things that we're finding. And I will say that during the um, the, the pandemic, there was uh, not a single ounce of flour to be found in any of the major grocery stores in our region. And we were full of flour because wow. of the connections. Yeah, you've built people, this over the right? years, yeah. right? So and- that was really awesome. Yeah, and I, I, um, it, it's wonderful. I mean, as you say, how you started in this uh, at the beginning and trying to connect people, producers to a steady market, and you know, uh, building up the community. Um, one of the questions I have is, uh, you've got a wonderful cafe there, and not mm-hmm. only can I come and you know buy all kinds of things, but I could have a a fantastic meal. Tell us about that. It, it looks like that's hopping all the time. It is. Our kitchen is phenomenal. Our cooks are absolutely amazing. One of the premises of our whole co-op at the beginning was that we would be food rescue. And so oh, great. there is so important. there is literally almost zero waste coming out of our produce section, which is unheard of. I mean, the, the major grocery stores are reporting 50% ending. It's, it's criminal. It is criminal. And all they need is a commercial kitchen with a couple chefs and they could be mitigating all of that waste and feeding people. I mean, that's the crazy thing, right? So we've transformed and make these incredible meals as well as frozen prepared foods. We do our own bone broths. We do our own soups. Everything's from scratch. Um, and because everything's uh, organic or, or unsprayed, we use all of our peelings for soup stocks. I mean, we go all the way. And then anything that ends up in the compost bucket gets picked up by two different farmers. So it's just like a totally closed loop system. And it's so wonderful. And the food is phenomenal. We actually just won three awards um, through our, our media agency here in Muskoka. We won Best Vegetarian Restaurant best fresh produce and best organic food store. Oh, so, congratulations. Okay. That's yeah. that's really wonderful. Now, um, you know, I, I found out about the co-op uh, in a news story that uh, came across my desk a few weeks ago about the Grocer Modular Vertical Farm. Uh, that was um, a big step for, for you folks there and got going in May. Uh, tell us about that and, and what that means for 
uh, having fresh local fare produce throughout the course of the year. That's a that's a big project. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, this was a big one for us. And again, we we had a need. We identified a massive gap. Why are we buying California lettuce in the middle of winter for six or seven months of the year? It was all certified organic and really nice lettuce. But why were we doing that when right. there's other solutions to 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 meet that problem? So um, I had gotten in touch with Grocer who create these amazing little 40 foot containers that are completely turnkey ready modular farms. Um, it's inside a container, like a shipping container yeah, sort of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's inside Go a 40 foot container and they're made in Manitoba. It's a Canadian company. And uh, so I worked with them to create kind of my dream, the wish list for the co-op, because what this would do for us is it would stop us from having to depend on another country to produce our greens through most of the year, like at least half the year. And then it also um, allowed us to create more employment and to generate um, more nutritious, nutrient-dense food in our community. Because, you know, things that are traveling on trucks for three weeks, they do lose their nutritional value. And also there's and the, um, you know, um, the carbon emissions from yeah. all of that. I mean, Absolutely. it just goes round and round. So yeah. this is a great offering. Mm -hmm. And and during the last few years, we actually, like, we would have loved to have even bought some from California and we couldn't. So then there was those barriers. Well, what if the borders close again? What if yeah. trucks aren't running? Like there was so many things that I just thought, you know, me and the board sat a long time. We called them our lettuce machines for the longest time. Yeah. Anyways, we had this big vision. And again, I went to some funders and I said, I'd like to do this. What do you think? We started the funding applications and we got, again, a federal and a provincial grant. They joined forces and we bought um, a full farm as well as a full container that's mainly for food processing. So it's um, it's attached to the farm and it has refrigeration and stainless steel counters and sinks and all the things you need to really keep that farm motoring really well. Um, and our co-op is so small that it's really nice to have that space to do all the, the bagging and stuff of the greens. So now we've been at it for a good three months now. Um, we've created one and a half full-time positions through right. it. It's yeah. been phenomenal. And we are pulling about 400 units of fresh, nutritious greens a week out of that unit. And, and those are getting snapped up, I'm sure, at the store, well, at the co-op. It's co funny because I was like, hmm, I might have to try and find other markets for this because I'm not sure we can sell that many here. Well, we harvest on Wednesday and by Saturday it's sold out. Wow. So, so I literally like we could use another a whole other farm, really, and and probably be able to to move that too. Kelly, is this um, primarily for the production of like greens and lettuces? Are there other things that can be grown uh, in this vertical yeah. uh, hydroponic fashion? Yeah, you can grow pretty much anything. But the nice thing about the greens is it's a highly sought after product. Uh, we also grow fresh herbs. So we have like beautiful basil and cilantro mm -hmm. and parsley and all of these other these other things coming out of it. Um, but the turnaround time is quick with greens. It's about 45 days. Mm -hmm. So if you were to start growing strawberries or start growing tomatoes, which you could, you're, you're taking up valuable space for mm -hmm. much longer time for less food. So right. we're just kind of more into let's create, let's maximize this and keep that, that system really, really um, generating. 
so that's why we do, we chose the greens. Um, the one thing that I, you know, I'm always very, very, very cognizant of though, is that in no way are these farms in place to take the place of real farmers. Right. And of course, like we know and we recognize and will always support our farmers first. And so when it comes to farmers in our region starting to produce their own lettuces, we will buy all their lettuce from oh, them. Oh, for too. sure. And, and that this is to augment more than anything, but there's nothing better than growing food under the sun in good, clean soil being, you know, watered by the rain, right? So we just need to recognize that this is a solution for a problem in the North and, and in our region, but it's not, the answer is still supporting and growing our farmers. And Absolutely. And, you know, so and, and yeah, great. and so there's a, you know, there's a sensitivity uh, uh, that, that one has to have around that, um, that the farmers don't feel that they're being usurped in any way. Exactly. Um, Kelly, I read on your website that you have more than 1,600 member owners, proud member owners. Is, is 1,600 plus, would that be accurate? Yeah, we're actually up to 1,700 now. That's amazing. I and know. these are the producers, the regular folk. I mean, yeah. uh, so it's, it's multi stakeholders. Yeah. yeah, so we have, um, we've got businesses, so businesses yeah. can become members, um, which is really empowering for those businesses, for people to see what businesses support the co-op. It's really great. Good partnerships there. And then the consumers and the producers. Yeah, that's terrific. So yeah. uh, you've got one uh, modular farm. Uh, how many, you're, you're coming into your 10th, 10th year now? Fifth year in bricks and mortar operation, but right. 10 years of development. Yeah. Okay. Before we let you go, uh, what, what are future plans for the co-op? We just finished our strategic planning process for okay. the next three to five years, which yeah. was an incredible exercise. Um, we hired an amazing firm called Launch and Prosper to help us get there. Um, and within that, we uh, it was unanimous. Every single interview, survey, whatever that we had, it was, you know, we're bursting at the seams. We need to expand this store. We need to grow more into the education aspect of things and food literacy. Um, we just need more capacity. And so our, our next step now is planning to expand our store and we'll likely um, be staying in the same location, but doubling our floor space, hopefully. Mm. And so that's a phenomenal thing. Uh, we really need things like a big bulk food section and walk-in fridges and freezers. And, you know, like right now it's tight and it's working, but it's, it's, we, we will do better with more, I think. So that's kind of the next plan. And um, as I'm kind of stepping out of my role as general manager, because I'm moving, I'll be stepping more into a role of um, kind of direct executive directorship where I'll be helping more with the development and that kind of growth stuff. Um, and uh, and hopefully we'll see the co-op continue to to grow. I mean, my dream is to to see this co-op in a ten thousand square foot space one day and be mm -hmm. one of the major grocery stores here. Like, why why can't we be? If you just Absolutely. look at the, look at the Kootenai Food Co-op, yeah, and see what we've done over the last fifty years, and it's like, yeah. wow, well, we know it's possible. Yeah, you know, Kelly, um, one of the things that comes to mind in talking with you is that um, you're in a community. Uh, it's got a lot of tourism and, you know, seasonal residents, but then there's the year round residents and uh, often uh, there's a lot of poverty. 
mm-hmm. uh, among year-round residents. And sometimes there's, you know, a, a mixed feeling about, oh, it's great the tourists come and help the economy and whatever, but, um, you know, property taxes go up. And one thing, another, affordable housing. Uh, how does a co-op give back to the community beyond uh, providing uh, food and uh, everything else it does? How are, how are you helping build that strong community so that everyone's included? Yeah, it's such a good question. And it's, of course, it's like, that's where the major work is, right? So we, um, of course, we are inclusive to everybody. So we make sure that everyone knows that they're welcome to come in here. And we'll always put a bowl of soup in someone's hands. It's not like there's just no question that people need to eat and we have the food to feed them. So there's one thing. But this, the biggest thing is, you know, we operate as a not for profit, which means that, you know, any generated revenue, which is very little for us because we are trying to keep our margins low enough that we're to keep the food as accessible as possible. Even saying that though, it's inaccessible to a lot of people. Yeah. And the reason is, is because the farmers name their price. They know what they need in order to keep doing the work they do. And we want them and need them to be doing that. And so they name the price of their food and we add those margins on that just enable us to literally keep our doors open and pay our staff. And even that is not creating good enough access for everybody. So we're doing a whole bunch of things. Like we're really trying to promote more people shopping here because it's strange to think about business being modeled this way, but actually the more turns we make in this store, the more we can lower our prices. Right. And most businesses don't think on that level, right? They think, oh, great, we're getting busier. Let's make more money, you know? For us, we just need to keep the store floating. And so if we had twice as many customers coming in here, spending their money, even if it was just $25 or $50 a week on their groceries, we would be able to to, to bring down the prices of the food so that more people could access it. So we're really trying to promote more turns, more people um, coming in. And it is happening. We we do generate over a million dollars in sales a year in this little store right now. But I'd really like to see that double. And if we can do that, then things become e- even easier for people. Um, the other way is through more food literacy programs, yeah. teaching people. I think that a lot of people say, I can't afford to eat healthy. And that I really believe is not true. I think that the problem is, is that you, you know, one needs to know how to eat healthy on a budget. And those are, it's, it's possible. I mean, I know I did it for years raising my children. I don't have a lot of money either. And, you know, we ate well, but you just have to know how and that food literacy and that education is a huge part of that. So I think that that's something we need to continue to grow. I mean, we we really take Alice Waters edible schoolyard projects to heart a lot because of everything she's done over the last 40 years in Berkeley in California, I had the chance to go and train with her for a little bit. And that was just like a total blessing because it made me realize that it really is all about the education and nurturing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's, you know, the biggest thing is for us to be able to build capacity here so we can teach more, so we can empower more people, so we can show them how to cook beans from dry so that we can, you know, show them how to use a full 
stock of celery <laughs> without wasting any of it or broccoli or whatever, right? So, I mean, I think it's uh, it's just going to take time, but more and more people will realize that uh, that they can do it. That was Kelly Ebbs, General Manager of the Muskoka North Good Food Co-op in Huntsville, Ontario. Thanks to my fellow cooperators for putting together this edition of Each for All the Cooperative Connection. I'm Sandy Goldman. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a cooperative week.